All right. And again, welcome everybody to Riverside Calvary Chapel. Um, glad you're here with us this morning and looking forward to getting into our new summer series, Summer on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, actually. And we're going to be taking the next uh, nine weeks or so leading up to our, our fall series that we'll be beginning a new book series going through verse by verse, uh, as we will be on the Sermon on the Mount, but we'll be getting that new book series in the fall. So for the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking and breaking down the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to have a few different brothers coming and and tag teaming with me as we go through uh, this series. We're going to have pastors Randy and Rob and Pete and Cole that are all going to be uh, taking part in, in kind of teaching through this along with me. So I'm looking forward to it. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And it says right there, In Matthew 5, verse 1. Turn there and hopefully you're there and look at that. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And let me pause right there. So uh, just think about that here. You know, uh, I can imagine it being much like a day like we're experiencing today. And Jesus gathers his disciples now keep in mind that he's speaking to his disciples on the sermon on the mount this is a message that he's he's gearing towards those that are following him as disciples now we know that there were no doubt others that were gathering around crowds as we'll see in a moment here but jesus is speaking to his disciples he brings them up there and he seated them on the mountainside uh, overseeing the, the the sea of galilee all right anybody ever been to the Sea of Galilee. All right, Tim. Awesome. That's good. And it's an exciting thing. And I, I have just such a, a joy being able, when we do our Israel tours, being able to teach through this passage from, you know, what they call the, the Mount of Beatitudes. We don't know exactly where Jesus was, but no doubt overlooking the sea. Much like this isn't Galilee here, but much like it would have looked like just overlooking a lake like that here and Jesus with his disciples. And it's just a, a wonderful thing. But it's interesting because as Jesus begins to share with his disciples, in this sermon, he is giving this message to reveal this kingdom way, all right? Just such an incredible sermon. I don't know if you heard the story about the pastor that went into his wife's closet, and um, probably never a, a good thing to do, but he goes in his wife's closet, and he sees his egg carton up on the top shelf, and he's thinking, what is this egg carton doing up here? So he grabs the egg carton, he opens it up, and he sees there's two eggs in it, along with $200 in cash. And the guy's thinking, what in the world is this doing in the closet? So he finally asks his wife, he says, honey, what is this all about here? And his wife said, well, listen, every time you preached a bad sermon, I put an egg in the carton. And the pastor starts thinking, hey, man, after all these years, not too shabby, only two eggs. He says, what's the $200? And his wife says, well, every time I got a dozen, I sold them. So, <laughs> tough thing here. And, and yet, I share that to say, what we get to hear today is the beginning of the greatest sermon ever. Because again, it's not my sermon. We're, we're hearing exactly what Jesus wants to lay out as he kind of gives this, this constitution of the kingdom, as he gives this, this sermon on the, the kingdom way. And it's interesting because as you go to the end of the chapter, sorry, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, if you want to flip over there with your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 28, it says this. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as 
the scribes. The scribes being the religious, kind of one of the religious uh, groups, the religious leaders of that day. And yet Jesus, so we see there's other people involved, not just his disciples. He's speaking specifically to his disciples, but there's others that are gathered around hearing this. And all the people are listening to this at the end of the sermon, and they're going, this is amazing. This is incredible, because we're hearing somebody speaking with authority, not like what we hear from our religious leaders. Because what they would often do, the Pharisees and the scribes, whenever they'd gather people around and teach, what they would do is they would just simply recite, quote, what other, you know, rabbis, other people had said in the past. And so they would just pass on, kind of regurgitate things that they've heard, going, this sounds pretty good, let me pass this on to you. But Jesus spoke something so profoundly different and new as he begins to lay out now this kingdom way for his people. So we start out now in the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, all right? The Beatitudes, and Jesus builds a theme here. A theme of, anybody know what the theme is? Somebody want to throw it out there? It's a repeated word that we see in the Beatitudes. Blessed, thank you everybody, blessed, woo! All right, starting to worry me there a little bit. The theme is this of being blessed. Now, the, the Greek word, um, makarois, is this word that simply means or it can be interpreted as happy. See, we use this word all the time, blessed. And we, we hear that it's a nice Christian word, you know. We end an email, bless you, blessings upon you. Somebody sneezes, God bless you. And we wonder, why do we even say that? But we get this idea, like, this is a good word to use, but we oftentimes don't understand exactly the depth or the meaning of it. But here, Jesus is using this, using this word to share that when you follow this kingdom way, you're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed. You're going to experience joy in your life, uh, unlike what the world can give you. Because it's something that the world is searching for. In fact, built within the U.S. Constitution is is given this uh, promise of life, liberty, and the, what? Pursuit of happiness, right? So it's like, get out there, and with all you got, pursue that happiness, And there might be times where people experience it, but you see, it's oftentimes very conditional. Conditioned based upon what you're experiencing, based upon what's around, or sometimes who's around you. And it's it it comes and it goes, you see. It's something, however, that the world cannot give in a lasting way. And yet people are pursuing it, looking for it, yet coming up empty. Jesus comes and he says, listen, you want to experience happiness? Let me show you not how to just pursue it but let me show you how to receive it how to gain it how to walk in happiness and it's going to come by following this kingdom way you see the more that i live the more that i recognize and i see that the further people get away from the lord the less happy they are do you do you tend to find that in fact what we see happening in in society and culture today is that we just have a a world filled with selfish cranky unhappy people the more that we've removed God out of the equation or out of the picture, people are less and less happy. Living the way that you want to live certainly doesn't guarantee a happy life. So Jesus looks to point out a better way for us here, a way that's sure to lead to to blessing and happiness because it's the kingdom way. Now keep in mind, the kingdom way was not just about, uh, about doing the right things 
or kind of applying some sort of religion. Because a lot of people, they look at the Sermon on the Mount and they go, well, this is the way that now I need to kind of put on and and live my life like the Ten Commandments in a sense. Well, here's Jesus comes along now and he just kind of makes the Ten Commandments, breaks it down a little bit more simply. And so here it is. So what people do is they apply the Sermon on the Mount like a religion. I just live by the Sermon on the Mount. Now, remember the Pharisees taught that you need to be righteous to enter the kingdom. But that righteousness for them was an outward action. It's all about doing, you know, the right things, obeying rules and regulations. But what's the problem with that? When you're living with this kind of outward reform, you can easily fake it, right? You can put on the show of, look at how righteous I am, but yet the heart can be very far from that truth and reality. I can sit here before all of you and say, I love you all so much. I care for you guys. But you don't really know what's going on in my heart. Right? That's a terrible illustration because I really do love you guys. I really do. I really do care for you. Right? Yeah, I do. Terrible illustration to use. But, but you see, it's easy to say something. It's easy to kind of put an act out there. But you don't really know what's going on in the heart. Jesus had to call the Pharisees and the religious leaders out so much on their hypocrisy. And what did that mean? Actors. It meant that they were, they were faking it. They looked righteous, but they weren't truly. So the Sermon on the Mount begins to cut right to the heart of the matter because uh, the matter, the, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart, isn't it? What's really going on in the heart? So the Sermon on the Mount begins to really break that down for us a little bit better. See, the Sermon on the Mount is not, you know, a way into the kingdom. It's not to say when I just simply reform my life and and put on these things and i do these things that now i i'm gonna i'm gonna be saved i'm gonna go to heaven right by by doing these things that's not what we're looking at here but rather we're looking at the kingdom way not the way into the kingdom but the kingdom way the sermon on the mount wasn't a way to salvation but rather showed the righteousness of god and our need for it in fact the key is found here in chapter 5 verse 20 would you just look at that verse real quickly with me as i just look at a bit of an intro here chapter 5 verse 20 for i say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven so a lot of people look at that and go oh my goodness jesus like we got to we got to live up to the standard, the level of the, of the Pharisees and the scribes because remember the Pharisees and scribes, they put on the show of righteousness and everybody looked at them as though that's the standard, the pinnacle. Man, if I can just be a little bit more like them, then I'm going to guarantee myself a good standing before God. This is how people were thinking. But Jesus says, oh, hold on. No, no, no. Your righteousness needs to go beyond that. And right there, the people would have been thinking, what? Lord, do you know what you're asking of us? We can't do that exactly now you're getting that's why jesus brings it up to say your righteousness is not going to come from you your standing before god is not going to come because of you it's not by what you do it's more a matter of who you are and who you are more so in christ now like i said you know some people have taken the sermon on the mount and they made it their gospel but then others have dismissed it completely saying this doesn't this doesn't pertain to us today. This has no bearing on 
on our situation. This is for a future mandate when the kingdom of God is, is really here. That's going to come down the road. But for us now, no, no, no. We just kind of put that on hold, on pause, and that will come down the road. But no, this Sermon on the Mount is meant for us because it's showing the kingdom way. And for us today as believers in Christ, guess what? We're citizens of the kingdom. So what Jesus begins to lay out for us is the character of the kingdom and the, and the character as well of the citizens of the kingdom. This is for us. Yes, there is a, a now and a not yet reality in the sense that we live this out now as citizens of the kingdom in the sense that this is the character and the conduct the way that we should be conducting ourselves. But it's going to be more fully realized when Jesus comes again and he establishes his kingdom on this earth and righteousness is going to reign supreme in that day, no doubt. But this is the reality for us as believers today. So Jesus taught that the character of this kingdom was a, a matter of the heart. It's an attitude. That's why we, we begin with the Beatitudes because notice, the Beatitudes be attitudes. It's not be attitudes, right? Like this is what you need to do. It's not the do attitudes. It is the be attitudes. It's a way that we are to be. Jesus, you see, is a lot more concerned about who we are than what we do. But when we take care of our character, as we're going to look at in this first part of the Sermon on the Mount, as we take care of our character, then proper conduct will follow because right conduct flows out of right character. So that's what Jesus begins to point out to us here in the Beatitudes. It's an attitude that we're to have as we live as citizens of this kingdom, as we live in this kingdom way it's about having the right perspective not about saying here's how i need to put on more do's and or don'ts and live religiously no it's an attitude it's it's a way that we're to live and conduct ourselves in it's having a character change that exceeds the righteousness of the pharisees and the scribes it's a righteousness that we receive in and through jesus christ all right everybody with me so far tracking everybody good all right so Here's what we're going to look at as we go through this sermon on the Beatitudes that Jesus gives. We're going to look at this outline because, again, as we look at the attitude, we're going to look at the right kind of attitude. So we're going to see the right attitude towards self, the right attitude toward God, the right attitude toward others, and then, oh joy, the right attitude toward trials. Why is that in there? Why does that have to be there? But we'll look at why it's there and why, uh, why that's important for us here. So first of all, the right attitude towards self. Look at these Beatitudes in me. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how many times have you read that, you looked at that, and you thought, what in the world is he talking about being poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Poor in finances, I understand very well, right? Poor in telling a joke. Check that. Poor in flossing? Yeah, it's probably right up there too, right? I know what it's like to be poor in certain things, but poor in spirit... What are we talking about here? What does that mean exactly? You see, the Pharisees thought that you had to be mighty, mighty in spirit. You need to show yourself to be very right, strong, mighty, follower of God, a, a, a person that obeys the word of God well, all these things. But again, that was that outward display of of religion and, and self-righteousness. But Jesus rather teaches us now, listen, the, the way into the kingdom is not by propping yourself up 
and boasting in what you're able to do. The way up, brother, is down. It's about walking in humility and recognizing your needs spiritually. See, if you were to pull a, a number of people today and ask if they think they're a good person or not, I, 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 would, I would bet money, not that I bet money, but if you want to make some money, this is how you do it. No, don't do that. But no, uh, I, I, would, I would say that the majority of people that you pull and ask them if they're a good person or not would say, yeah, I believe I'm a good person. I, I mean, I try. I try to do good things. I try to help people around me. I, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good person. And, and that would be the response you get from many people. It's what many people are trusting in for them to get into heaven or to be part of the kingdom of God, isn't it? But Jesus flips that around here now and he says, it's the one that sees his spiritual need, right? Or his spiritual poverty, the one that is truly poor in spirit, that they're unable to be good in and of themselves. They're unable to make themselves good. They're unable to earn their way into the kingdom. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. When we begin to live with an awareness of our sin and our poor condition, then the more that we see our desperate need for Jesus, the more that we recognize, I'm in trouble here. I'm in poverty in and of myself. I need help. And that's exactly where Jesus wants to take us and bring us, is to lead us to him. The more that we see our need, the more that we can look to Jesus. That was the attitude in the parable that Jesus gave between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember in Luke chapter 18. In fact, if you want to turn there, turn there. But uh, I'm going to just beat you to it and just read it myself here. Luke 18, I'll read it to you here. The parable that Jesus gives was so interesting because these two went down to the temple to pray and jesus says in luke 18 verse 11 the pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself god i thank you that i am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even as this tax collector beside me here right he says i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i possess so what was this pharisee doing he's propping himself up he's boasting himself look at how rich i am spiritually look at how good I've done. But then Jesus says, note the attitude now of the tax collector. Because he goes on to say in verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And notice what Jesus then says. I tell you, this man, this tax collector went down to his house justified rather than that Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see the difference in the attitude there? This Pharisee didn't recognize that he was poor in spirit. The tax collector did. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, that's the guy that goes home justified because he recognized he is poor in spirit. And notice the great reward given there. Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the first step in taking that step into eternity into a right relationship with god is recognizing your need i'm not good i can't make it on my own i can't do enough to be right before god i'm in poverty here i need to surrender that to the lord jesus blessed are you happy are you like this tax collector do you see yourself as a spiritual cripple who can only hope in jesus if so rejoice be happy in your spiritual plight. De- delight in the truth that you're a citizen of the kingdom both now 
and forever. For such is the kingdom of heaven. But then he goes on to say in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, we're going to be seeing just this incredible progression. I want you to catch that. We'll, we'll hit on it, but this great progression that we see moving along these Beatitudes. Because what's going to happen when somebody recognizes, I'm in trouble. I can't save myself. I'm, I'm doomed on my own. I need help. What's going to happen when you see your, your poor spiritual condition before God? Hopefully, you're going to mourn. You're going to see, my goodness, I need help. I'm in trouble. So the natural progression when you see your sinfulness is to cry out to the Lord, to mourn. You mourn the fact that sin has separated you from God. That it's, it's, it's kept you away from Him. But this time of mourning is not without hope because what does Jesus say? Oh, those who mourn, they're going to be what? Comforted. Don't you love to be comforted? When you're going through a stressful time, an anxious time, uh, a discouraging time, don't you love it when somebody comes along with comfort to you, right? Just something to, to bless you? Well, Jesus is the one that wants to comfort you. But in order to receive that comfort, we need to begin to mourn. I think a, a, a good way to look at that is, is to begin to walk in repentance, to say, man, my sin has brought me here dead end in fact like proverbs says there's a way it seems right to man but it's end is the way of death lord i need to repent i need to turn i need to mourn that sin i need to come to you and when we do that guess what the lord's waiting there saying oh i'm so glad you've understood this and you've come to me because now i get to come and comfort you i get to pour in myself to you that's what jesus did isn't it when the woman was caught in adultery in john chapter 8 didn't he, didn't he pick her up comfort her when everybody's ready to condemn her he says, go and sin no more. Just like the, the prostitute that came at his feet and began to wash his feet with her tears. And the religious leaders are sitting there going, oh, if only he knew this person that was sitting there. They were ready to cast her out. But Jesus took her in, showed grace and comforted them. See, that's the Lord that we serve where he's not quick to condemn. And that's oftentimes the, the, the feeling we have is that Oh man, I can't go to the Lord with this because he's going to condemn. But no, our sin should be driving us to Jesus to recognize it's when we come to him in confession and we're mourning over our sin that it's then that he can comfort us and restore us and help us. I'm so glad for that. Verse 5 goes on to say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So as you come in contact with your sin and you mourn over the fact that you're not whole, you really don't have a lot to be prideful at this point, right? You recognize I've been propping myself up quite a bit, but now the, the, the ground is falling out for me. The foundation has been weakened. It's falling down. And you realize I don't have a lot to stand on here. And you begin to recognize meek, break it down in half. Me? Ugh, gross. I don't have a lot to be confident in, in myself. I've been living for self. I've been thinking in myself, I can do Right? But now suddenly it's all caving in. I'm, I'm realizing my spiritual poverty. I'm realizing I need to mourn over my sin. And you realize me? Eck, gross. No, I don't want anything to do with me. We don't have a lot to be prideful in. And the Lord loves meek people. Now, we often think of meekness as weakness, don't we? We think it's just these meek little people, you know, and they're just kind of walking around. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't want to look at you, sorry. And it's like these meek people. But understand that meekness 
is ultimately strength under control. It was used as a term for horses that were broken and were now in submission. Listen, when you're talking about a horse, you're talking about a very powerful creature. And they're still powerful, but they're in submission. And that's what it means to be, to be meek, ultimately. Moses was meek. In Jesus' only description that he gave of his own character, what did he say in, in Matthew 11, verse 29? I am meek and lowly in heart. Now, the world loves to say, uh, if you want to get anywhere in the world, if you want to get ahead, then you've got to assert yourself. You've got to be strong. You've got to just grab the, you know, whatever by the horns and just take it, right? You've got to just show them who's boss. But again... Jesus comes and he turns that all around. He says, it's the meek that are going to inherit the earth. It's the meek that are truly going to gain. I love how Jesus has a way of just flipping and reversing the prevalent philosophies of this world. No wonder so many people are feeling like they're in in a rat race and getting burned out because they're conducting themselves in a totally contrary way to what Jesus is laying out for us here in order to have Blessing, happiness, contentment, and joy. People are going about it all the wrong way. I mean, this is how I got to live. <clears throat> I can't let anybody do this to me, or I got to show them his boss. Jesus says, no, poor in spirit. Mourn over those things. Be meek. Because you're going to have the kingdom of heaven, then you're going you're gonna to be comforted. You're going you're gonna to inherit the earth. There's, there's great blessing and gain that comes in laying ourselves down, you see. So we've looked at this attitude towards self, but now we move into verse 6 and we look at this attitude, the right attitude we're to have towards God. It says there in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, those first three attitudes, and I said there's a great progression taking place here. Those first three attitudes have ultimately been an emptying of self. Do you see that? It's laying ourselves down. It's, it's, it's stopping ourselves from propping ourselves up, making ourselves look better than we actually are. It's realizing that the foundation needs to be altered here and I need to build myself upon the Lord. So it's an emptying of ourself. But what happens when you're on empty? You need to fill up, right? Whether that's in your car and the gas tank gets on empty, right? You need to fill up. Or your stomach starts growling and making some strange noises, right? You need to fill up. You need to eat something, right? So we get this idea here that we are seeing an emptying ourselves, but it's so that we can be filled. The question is, what are you filling yourself with? Because Jesus says here, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, well, then you will be filled. Now, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is this, this right condition proper condition that's acceptable to god it's it's having that right standing before god a a righteous standing it's it's this condition that's acceptable to god the problem is there are people who have never been filled because they've not yet been emptied there's still too much of self they're living for self they're content with self and, and they've not seen their need for a right standing before God or, or his righteousness. So people haven't been filled in the right way because they haven't been emptied first and foremost. But those that come emptying themselves and receiving what the Lord has them, seeking after those things, right? And they're filled. 
They're the ones that are experiencing the true blessed life, that inner satisfaction, that life of happiness. That's what, what, you know, again, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. So it's important that we're filling ourselves with that which Jesus wants to fill us with. Because we can so easily fill ourselves with inferior things, right? And think, well, this, this could work. This will maybe help me to be a little bit more happy or a feeling of blessedness, Right? Like if my wife were to go and, and, and make a really nice dinner, right? One night says, hey, got dinner prepared. You know, when you get home, we'll, we'll, we'll chow down. It's going to be great. And I'm driving home. I'm thinking, man, I'm, I, I missed lunch. I'm a little bit hungry. And I see McDonald's and I hit the drive through on the way home. Grab that Big Mac meal, you know, supersize it. And I start chowing down. I eat it quickly because I don't want my wife to know I've just hit the drive through right? And I can get home, and she's got this incredible spread out. But guess what now? This is kind of tainted. It's ruined. It's, I'm not going to have the same appetite for that because I've just chowed down. And I've missed a greater blessing because I've gone after something that's inferior that I think this is going to help, but it's actually ruined it for something better, you see. And so it's so easy to go after inferior things, but yet Jesus says, Come and seek after and hunger and thirst for righteousness. That right standing with God. Because then you're going to be filled and satisfied and blessed and and happy is the person that experiences those things. So the progression of these verses is important because when you empty yourself of self, you'll have that hunger and craving for righteousness and it is that which will truly fill you and satisfy you. And then we see this attitude toward others now. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So citizens of the kingdom of God are not ones that, that hold grudges or are looking to get even with those that have, have wronged them, right? Rather, they're merciful people. Now, have you ever known people that tend to hold on to grudges? Tend to just kind of just... Yeah, not let go or, or forgive. And guess what? They're the most happy people, aren't they? No. Man, they're just like sour. They're bitter. There's no joy that stems out of holding something against another person. We might think it's, it's helpful or it's doing something. Or we always try to say, well, I just need to teach them. A I need them to grow. I just want to see them you know, working thing. And and we kind of try to justify it, right? I just want the best for them. So I'm just going to not forgive them right now, (laughs) right? So we do sometimes. uh, Oh, I tell you, we have such a twisted way of working things out sometimes. But, But you see these people that aren't showing mercy and there's no, there's no happiness or joy. But, but you see, here's, here's a problem oftentimes. Why, why don't people show mercy? I think oftentimes it's because they don't understand the mercy that they've needed themselves, right? They don't recognize the fact that we were ourselves at enmity with God, separate from God. We were at war with God. We, we deserved the worst. We deserved judgment, wrath. We deserved hell. But guess what? We've been spared from that. 
But it tells us in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Proverbs 14, verse 20, he who despises his neighbor sins, but he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. You see, people that are ready to show mercy to one another are those, I think, have recognized their own need for mercy. Your attitude to others will greatly change when you realize what Jesus has done for you when you least deserved it. And again, mercy is simply not getting what we deserve. Like I said, we deserved judgment, death, hell. Eternal punishment, we, we de- I deserve that. But God has spared me from that through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who took the judgment of God in my place and for me. He bore my sin in the judgment for it so that I could receive now His righteousness. A great exchange took place on the cross. That's the mercy of God. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. And so now, I recognize, and I, I didn't deserve anything, but I, I gained everything, so, and how I need to walk in, in grace and mercy toward others. How much mercy you show is almost certainly the result of how much mercy you know. And I pray today, if you're sitting here, or if you're watching online, that you are recognizing, knowing, realizing the great mercy that, that God has poured out upon you. And, and now it's called us to be merciful people. And blessed are those that walk in mercy, in grace, not holding grudges toward others. Blessed, happy are you. And then blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8, for they shall see God. So those that have a pure heart are the ones that are going to see God. Why? Because there's no longer other things that are distracting or defiling them. So we've seen a great emptying of self and a, and a, a hungering after his righteousness. And so again, now, we're living with this pureness of heart, this singleness of mind. We're saying it's all about Jesus. And those that are pure in heart, now again, there's not things that are pulling them in every direction, distracting or defiling them, and they're going to see God more clearly. You know, God's not out there playing hide and seek with us. God's not out there trying to make himself hard to find. He's right there, but what we do is we often allow other things in that block us from seeing him. So when we walk in that pureness of heart, suddenly it's like, oh, God, I can see you more clearly now. It's like having to, to wash those windows, you know? Those windows, they're there. It's, it, the stuff on the other side hasn't moved, just there's gotten a lot of grime and dirt sometimes that needs to get cleaned off. And walking in that purity and, and in His righteousness, emptying ourselves of self that so often distracts us from the Lord will cause us to see him more clearly. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I love peace. Isn't, isn't enjoying peace a good thing? It's not something I experience all the time, especially lately, because we've just taken on a new kitten in our house. And I, I can't believe it. No, it's not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not ready for that. And I got to say, I have shamed over the years all of you cat owners. And I, I now need your mercy and forgiveness because I'm one of you now. 
I'm in that category. But we got this cute little kitten, and it's so precious. And we want it to be, you know, an outdoor cat, you know, catch all the critters stuff. And so the first night we had it sleeping in the garage, right, Um, comfortably. But I could not believe the sounds that were emerging from this ground, from this garage. It's like, honey, did did we get a kitten or did we get a demon? Because I think that thing is like, that thing has got to be possessed. The screeches coming from that thing all night long, keeping us up all night. So there are times where, I mean, we don't experience a lot of peace, right? But understand that Jesus is not talking about having an environment of peace. He's talking about experiencing this, this lifestyle of peace and more so about being peacemakers. Now, we're not talking about going out and holding up signs with a little you know, peace symbol on it or, or protesting this or protesting that and seeking peace. He's talking about being peacemakers. How do we be peacemakers? Well, first of all, we understand and know that the only way that we're going to experience peace is how? Through the Prince of Peace is through a right relationship with Jesus. So when we be peacemakers, what we're doing is that we're leading others to Jesus. We're pointing others to Jesus, to the life that they can have and experience in Him, the Prince of Peace, to where suddenly they're at peace. Because like what, what Romans 5, and I love what Romans 5, you know, spells out for us here. And it says this, let me just read it to you. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have... Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be those that are experiencing this incredible, blessed peace with God, but there's a whole world that is not. And now as peacemakers, we get to come along and point them to the way that they can experience peace. It's through Jesus Christ. And so it's about us now, in this kingdom way, living as, as witnesses in the world living evangelistically where we're seeking to evangelize, share the good news that they don't have to continue on in the way that they're living with with stress and worry, anxiety, but they can have peace through a right standing with God through Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be peacemakers. We need to come and have a wonderful role. And you see, it's in carrying out that role that we begin to show ourselves to truly be children of God. Conducting ourselves in the Father's business, right? Blessed, happy are you that are peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we've seen the attitude toward self, the attitude toward God, the attitude toward others. Lastly, we look at the attitude toward trials. I know you're looking at the clock going, can we just end right now? It would be nice to do that. But let me wrap this up real quickly here. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, you would think that the world would love to see somebody living out these beatitudes. You would think the world would say, that's the person I want to hang out with. That's the person I want to be around. Let's vote this guy the most popular person around. Let's put him up to a, 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 just a, a good you know, level and, and just, man, let's, let's just have this person just a part of our lives, right? You would think this would be the attitude, the view of the world, to see people living these things out. Yet Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Understand that living this way doesn't guarantee you an easy ride. And the world just to come along and say, you're so awesome. How are you so nice? 
You're so special. Like, don't expect the world to be doing that. Why? Because all these things that we're living out flies in the face of what they're living, of what their MO is. And it begins to confront them with their own condition. And rather than recognizing their own condition and their need to say, I'm not good enough and I need to die to self, rather than than receiving that truth, they'll say, you know, it might be easier just to silence that witness. It might be easier just to silence them so that I don't feel as bad. Let me take them down so that I can continue living the way that I want to live. That's how the world responds. Jesus lays it out for us. He says, don't expect the world to love you. He said that many times in, in John as he's talking to his disciples. Understand the world is going to hate you, but understand the world hates you because they hate me. So when you begin to live this kingdom way, you begin to represent and model the king and the world is going to not like that and take too kindly to it. And they're going to come against you. Now I can just imagine the disciples sitting on the mount hearing these words, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And the disciples said, wait, wait a second. Did I just hear him say that? Did I hear that right? I'm sure they're all thinking, I hope you said pampered and not persecuted because that sounds a little bit more legit, you know. But so Jesus, what does he do? He says, yeah, I know you're probably taking a second, you know, thought about that. Let me just, let me just expand on this a little bit. So in the next two verses, he says, let me make this abundantly clear to you. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, Jesus lays it out there very clearly. The world is going to come against you because you're living a life so contrary to what they have set up for themselves. The world system is in direct conflict and contradiction to this very way of the kingdom. Those that are of God are to be different than the world. And it's going to oftentimes rub them the wrong way and cause them to, to respond harshly. And sometimes it'll be persecution physically. Sometimes it'll be persecution just by, by as, as Jesus says there, they're going to falsely, you know, uh, say all kinds of evil against you. Just by speaking, you know, wrong things about you. you you're going to face these things when you take a stand for the Lord. But, man, I, I, I pray that we all get one simple truth in reality because Jesus ends this, again, this promise in verse 10 there, the same way that he begins in verse 3, the same promise. Those that are, are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if we can understand this one truth, that we're not, we're not living for this world, my friends. This world is not our home. And, and we're not expected to have smooth sailing in this world because we're citizens of a different world we're citizens of the kingdom but the blessed thing is that we have the hope of heaven and we recognize that all these things are temporary and like paul who would say i understand well let me just read it to you second corinthians four seventeen: for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory paul understood that whatever i might go through in this world it's all going to be worth it because it's doing something even better in me and it's preparing us for heaven. As he would say in Romans eight sixteen, that the sufferings of this world cannot be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
there's coming a day when we will be with our king. We'll be with Jesus and we'll recognize, man, all those troubles in this world were far worth it. Every persecution I would do again tenfold because what it was doing in me and what it was leading me to was well worth it. That's what Jesus is laying out for us here. And I pray that we will be those that will begin to live with this attitude. To say, man, this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And there's blessing, happiness, and joy reserved for me when I live this way. And again, it's not putting on do's and don'ts and saying this is my religion. It's about changing the very attitude and perspective we have. And it's simply looking at our character and and then seeing that conduct flow out of that right character, living this kingdom way. See, the blessed life that Jesus points out, again, it it was so foreign and contrary to what the world valued. And it's even more so today, but Jesus lays out this kingdom way to show us the path to the blessed and happy life. Are, are, Are you feeling blessed today? What areas or attitudes need to be altered in your life? Maybe there's things going on today in your life where you're looking at this these beatitudes going man there's some things that i haven't really truly emptied myself of there's things i've been holding on to that have gotten in the way of me living this blessed life that jesus has for me maybe today we can just take some time and say lord would you point out areas that maybe i need to surrender that i need to let go of would you help me to recognize what you've done for me, what I have in you, help me to live that out and, and, and share that with other people. Let me pray. Let's just take some time and just maybe post some of those questions yourself before the Lord here. Ask and reveal these things in your own heart. Lord, we thank you for this word here. And we thank you for this wonderful sermon that you laid out for us here to really reveal just this this kingdom way for us to see what life in you and with you is really all about. And ultimately, it's the life of blessing. But Lord, there's, there's some things that need to be in place simply to truly experience that blessing. I'm thankful that salvation, it's wrapped up in you. It's done. But now as we live as children of God, citizens of the kingdom it it should show and it should it should alter the way that we live and and experience this life even today and we thank you that you have all these things for us that there's great reward built into just this kingdom way and i pray that you would reveal to us here today now just areas maybe that we've been holding on to maybe areas where we've been propping ourselves up too much and, and and relying on our efforts and strength and not simply being yielded and surrendered to you. So, Lord, reveal that, show us, and, and begin now to, to build into us, Lord, these, these characters and these attitudes. Fill us, Lord, more with your righteousness. May we be emptied of self and filled with what you have. May we show that now, live it out, as peacemakers in this world, lead us today. I thank you for 
our brothers and sisters here, would you just continue to bless them and pour into them your spirit and lead them now, we ask in your name. Amen.